Welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and as we walk with Jesus Christ through these last days of his earthly life, culminating in Holy Week, we invite you to join us in this Lenten journey, a journey of introspection, a journey of preparation, a journey that will help us to come home to God through Christ. So we invite you to join us as we set our feet toward Jerusalem. Come on in. Our first scripture reading today comes from Psalm 23, as we just said. It is a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. The word of the Lord. Our second reading is taken from the Gospel of Matthew. We are in chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. The short story, a possibly familiar story, of a woman anointing Jesus. Listen again with fresh ears. Matthew 26, 6 through 13. Now, while Jesus was at Bethany... In the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were angry and said, Why this waste? For this ointment could have been sold for a large sum and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. By pouring this ointment on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly I tell you, whenever this good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right. So today, our Lent in plain sight object, as you have heard and as you see, is oil or oil or earl, depending on where you're from, where you grew up. Oil is the way I'm used to. So let's break the ice a little bit here. One Sunday in church, 
They were having the time for prayer requests and I asked the preacher if he would please pray for my hearing. So he called me forward and got some of the elders and anointed me with oil. And he said, how's your hearing? Is it any better? He said, I don't know, my hearing's not until next week. <laughs> I was at a monastery recently. I wasn't really. And I was walking past the kitchen and back there was a priest who was cutting potato slices that was cooking in oil, oil. And I said, are you the friar? He said, no, I'm the chipmunk. <clears throat> if palm oil comes from palms and coconut oil comes from coconuts and sunflower seed oil comes from sunflower seeds, where do you get baby oil? <laughs> okay, the last one and the most absurd. What does a horse do after it eats a bunch of eggs and some olive oil. What does a horse do when it eats a bunch of eggs and some olive oil? He mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. <laughs> yes, oil can be used in a variety of ways. It is the impetus for so much in our world and used for so many things. As an object of our study and focus today, that means that this week, our daily Bible study, Lent in Plain Sight, the book that everybody, um, I hope you have, we still have a few extras if you need them, focuses on Bible stories that have to do with oil. Two of those stories are our passages from this morning. The first one, the 23rd Psalm, you anointest my head with oil. And then the second one, the woman who anoints Jesus with this ointment, with this oil. But before we get to the story, let's talk about this oil. Why is it being used and why, what did it mean? Vicki talked a little bit about it in her children's moment. But oil in biblical times, especially Old Testament, was used for a variety of things. And there were different kinds of oil. We often think of olive oil, and that's right. There was a lot of that, but there were different kinds of oils and plants and things that you could pull extracts from to make different kinds of oil for different purposes. Some was used medicinally. Some was used hygienically. Some was used in food preparation. Some was used in holy acts, which is where our focus lies. But we know from Genesis to Revelation, oil is used and also denotes the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you remember when Jesus stood up in Luke 4, 16, his first time back at home, remember they chased him out of town after he stood up in his home synagogue, and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor, sight to the blind, release to the captives, freedom to the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me. 
Often oil denotes a presence of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, what does Christ mean in Jesus Christ? It's not Jesus' last name. It is a title, and that title means what? It's the same thing as Messiah. Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. What is it? The anointed one. Thank you, Andrew. The anointed one. Right, and throughout the Old Testament especially, it had two focuses and into the New Testament. But early on, oil was used from, for the priests who anointed themselves to make themselves more holy. They would put it on different things in the temple to keep items in the temple holy. They would cleanse it and wash it with olive oil on their heads, hands, feet. Our psalm that we opened with, 133, talked about Aaron, who was kind of the first priest in the tribe of Levi, the Levites. They were the priestly clan out of all those 12 tribes. It's the Levites who were the priests and all the people in that clan, in that tribe, were set aside to keep things holy, to run the temple, to do all of the things that the temple required. Aaron was seen as the first. Remember Aaron, Moses' brother, who when God called him from the burning bush that we talked about last week, Moses said, uh, I, I, don't, I don't talk so good. I say Earl. And God said, I will send Aaron with you. He talks pretty well. So again, Aaron starts this priestly descendancy and it was the priest that started using oil to anoint, to set aside, to make holy. And then kings would be used. Priests came before the kings, but when the kings came, they too would be anointed and set aside. That's what that anointing is about. If you are anointed by God through the Holy Spirit, through this oil, you had a special purpose that you were being called to. For the priests, it was the priesthood, keeping worship, the temple, the holy life of Israel as your charge. If you are a king, you do what a king does, and especially a king from these people of faith, from Israel, from Judah, was set aside to be faithful as a king. Prophets also were set aside. Prophets, priests, and king. Also, what we look at as some of the offices that Jesus fulfills. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is a priest who intervenes for us. Jesus is our king. And so it is right, too, that he is known as Jesus, the anointed one, but it's not just Christ who's anointed. We are all anointed to do the things that God is calling us to do. So let's take a look at the story. It takes place in Bethany. And what do we know about Bethany? One of Jesus's favorite places. Bethany is two miles east of Jerusalem, so it's right there on the southeastern slope of the Mount of Olives. And we know that Jesus goes to Bethany several times throughout his ministry. And we know of four characters who live there. One is Simon the leper, whose house 
this anointing takes place, Simon the leper is having dinner and invites all of these people, Jesus and his disciples. Simon could not have been a leper at the time or he would not have been in contact with other people. So perhaps Jesus healed him. Perhaps he had worked through an illness. Often leprosy was kind of an umbrella term for sickness. Maybe he was having a dinner to say thank you that he was well, or again, that perhaps Christ healed him, but we don't know that. So there's Simon and then the three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So if you remember that this is the Lazarus that Jesus will raise from the dead in John 11, and Mary and Martha are sisters. This is not Mary Magdalene. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus, or any other of the many Marys that seem to float around in biblical times. Bethany seems to be the place where Jesus comes and rests and waits as he comes and goes from Jerusalem. Remember, all Jews would have been coming in and out of Jerusalem several times a year all of their lives. They have several pilgrim feasts that they are required to come to Jerusalem. Passover is one of those. And so it's very possible that Jesus knew Mary and Martha and Lazarus maybe growing up, maybe coming and going. But whatever it was, it's interesting to note that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were not listed among his disciples. They seemed to be his friends. And it seems that in these crucial moments of Jesus coming and going from Jerusalem, he stops there before, after, sometimes even during. Next week is Palm Sunday, where we celebrate Jesus entering Jerusalem on the donkey with the palms. In one account, he goes and he enters Jerusalem, and then that night leaves and goes back to Bethany before the rest of the week. And so we are left to assume that Bethany is a safe place for Christ. He isn't hassled there. There aren't temple authorities. There aren't Roman authorities that are after him. And even his disciples, who I'm sure he would count among his friends. But this is another group that seem to welcome Jesus, accept Jesus for who he is, provide a safe place for him as he comes and goes. So before we even get to the anointing, I think it's significant for us to talk about Bethany. If Bethany was a safe place for Christ, if Bethany provided that acceptance, that love, that place that Jesus continued to return to because his friends were there, because it was a safe and warm place, what are we being called to do now? First, I want us to think of ourselves as Bethany. In our direct relationship with Christ, we are being called to be a safe place for Christ, where we accept Christ, where we love Christ, where Christ can dwell richly within us. 
That's the environment we're trying to create and make better and closer through this Lenten journey. We want to be Bethany for Christ so Christ can dwell within us. Secondly, we need to also be Bethany for the world. How many people aren't there out there are not safe, who don't have a place where they are accepted, loved, and welcomed? Many. Our call is to go and be Bethany for them to provide that space through Christ. We are to go and say, how can I be Bethany to the people that God puts in our path every day? So those places that are special to us, think about those places that are special to you. Where do you feel the most loved, accepted, warm, safe? Maybe it's what people refer to as their happy place. Maybe it was a place you went to as a child. Maybe it was your home. Maybe it was a place you went on vacation. Maybe it's whenever you gather. Those places that are special for me, I think, and although many of those are in nature, which it's always easier to feel closer to God and that I believe feeds our souls. It's the relationships with the people that we are with that I found are often what is treasured. It's not just sitting on the beach enjoying, it's who I'm with. It's not just in the mountains hiking, but who I'm with at that time. It's not just at the lake. It's not just a weekend family gathering around a beautifully set table. It's not just being here in this beautiful and holy space. It is who we are with, and that means one another. So our job as Bethany is not only to welcome Christ into our hearts and lives, but to provide a safe space for those outside of these walls that need it. Second thing comes from the woman herself. We don't know who she is. In Mark and Matthew, I have similar accounts. She's unnamed. In Luke, she is just a sinful woman. And in John, John is the only one who names her as Mary, sister of Martha and Lazarus. So Mary Magdalene doesn't enter the picture anywhere here unless the leap is made to just a sinful woman but she wasn't the only sinful woman in biblical times. In two of the accounts, Jesus is anointed by the women's hair when they anoint his feet. In Matthew and Mark, they anoint Jesus' head with this oil, with this ointment. And we know the scandal of this it was in the cost of that stuff, that oil, that nard, that was a year's wages, a year's wages. That's ridiculous. Think about how much you or your family make in a year. It's $40,000. That's a $40,000 vial of smelly stuff. If it's 50,000, if it's 70, it's 80, if it's 100, if it's 300,000, that's what that 
vial of oil cost? It would have been right for the disciples to say, ho, 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 ho. You know what we could do with that money? You know the good we could do, the people we could feed? And Jesus says, wait. You'll have the poor with you always, but you won't always have me. And that's not him saying, don't take care of the poor. It's him saying that in a week I will be gone and you need to take care of me now because literally my time is waning. And said to the disciples that she did the right thing in using her resources, probably handed down from family to family, these oils and spices that, again, are very costly, that would have been used, again, for healing and for anointing of the body. At the end, when Jesus is taken off of the cross, Simon of Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea, takes him and prepares him with 100 pounds, 100 pounds of these oils and spices. So the woman anoints him and he says, leave her alone. She has done a good thing for me. That's our translation. A better translation that I like is that she has done something beautiful for me. And wherever the word is proclaimed, she will be remembered and we have proven that so today. As we are proclaiming God's word, we remember this amazing woman and her sacrifice. What made it beautiful? That it was sacrificial, that it was intentional. We keep coming back to that word all the way through Lent, being intentional Christians, meaning we're thinking ahead and how we serve Christ. She did that. She didn't care about the criticism she knew would come. She shouldn't be touching a rabbi or really even be interacting with. And Jesus says, she has done this beautiful thing for me. So the second thing into uh, um, after being Bethany for God and for those in the world to provide a safe and welcoming and loving place is to ask yourself this week, this is an assignment. Where and what can you do this week so that Christ will say, he or she did a beautiful thing for me. Faye did a beautiful thing for me. B did a beautiful thing. Jim did a beautiful thing for me this week. Because next week, we're at Palm Sunday and he's going in. This is the last chance before the adoration portion of the entry into Jerusalem where Jesus is cared for and loved and adored through this anointing. So I want each of you to think, what can I do this week that would cause Jesus to say, you did a beautiful thing for me? And if you're comfortable, I'd like you to let us know to see how it goes. Maybe you tried and maybe it didn't go well, but you tried. Or maybe you found something that only you could do because each of us will approach it differently. We all have different skills, different gifts from the spirit. We are called to different corners of the world. Where can you, where can I do something beautiful for Christ this week? And let me know. I think one quick example is the way Andrew 
has been adorning our sanctuary all of Lent. He has sacrificed his time and his gifts. He has been doing Bible study to make sure that the Spirit is speaking and working through him. He's put himself out there to be ridiculed by those who may not like what he did. But he is anointing God through the use of his gifts and skills and the intentional time he has taken to be faithful. What can you do? What can I do? What can we do? And if you're stuck, I don't know, preacher, get with somebody else. That's the joy of family, of friends, of a faith community. Preacher told me I had to do something to tell Jesus was going beautiful this week. What, what can we do? Do it. Do it. And I'm excited about what we will do this week for Christ. A beautiful thing for Christ before he pays the ultimate sacrifice for us. Let us adore him this week. Hallelujah. Amen.